gamesmanship and godlessness. That's my description of what we are having going on right now in the American scene. We've all been subjected to a most discouraging week of gamesmanship and godlessness. And regardless of whatever voter guide you follow, and we've referred to this as such, (coughs) oh man, how do you not sneeze? (laughs) If I do that again, Jeff, if I go like this, bring the mic down, (laughs) because I'm like, this is not going to be good. (laughs) But we have been just subjected to that which has been ugly, There's been nothing uplifting in it whatsoever. And uh, we're discouraged by it. We're confused by it. So next week, because it is so difficult to process what's going on, next Sunday night, you've seen in the bulletin, we're going to have something, we're calling it the American Political Scene, an open discussion. And we are going to, I try not to be political here in the pulpit, But we're going to be able to say whatever we need to say, whatever we feel like, not to beat one another up by any means, but to help one another think through what are the issues, how does a Christian operate in this particular context. And uh, never tried it before. My mom used to say two things you don't talk about, religion and politics, and we're going to put them both together. You know what they say about fools rush in where angels dare not trod, right? It could be, I could be the world's biggest fool. That might be it. But people are sincerely confused and wondering. And I'm not saying I'm going to come with answers. I'm saying we're going to have a discussion because it's just been ugly. It's been gamemanship and godlessness. So what I'd like to begin with, and if we can turn all the house lights down, because I'd like to show this up, have this show up as much as possible. We do that. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Randy. And that is, um, I'd like to begin, seeing that it's been so ugly, I'd like to begin by just bringing some beauty into our experience. You know, Wazili Kandinsky has said, color is a power which directly influences the soul. So I thought, let's just look at a few things that might be colorful, that might calm our spirits and go, you know, it'd just be good to get into a peaceful place. Obviously, one of the things God has created are birds that are just magnificent in the colors that they can portray. Go ahead, Jeff. And you might see one of these around here. This is a wood duck. And I just think they're magnificent for the variety of colors that are in there, so let that just calm our spirit. Now this, I, I couldn't get it any clearer than this, but this is, I think it's called the Poseidon Nebula. So God's creation, out, you know, the, the scripture says that the heavens declare his glory, and these are two vanishing stars, and that these are from the Hubble spacecraft. So take another picture, and if you can tell, again, not as clear when we blow it up, but down here what we have is, this is called a star cluster. And it's just beautiful colors that are there. And so the night sky provides us with some magnificent pictures and colors. Go ahead, Jeff. And how about this waterfall with the rainbow being created right through the mist from the waterfall? Don't you just want to go there? Wouldn't you say, man, I just want to just be on the beach or in a boat and just quietly watching this. And and it just calms your spirit. Magnificent. One more of... uh what a beautiful scene that that would be to be there in a canoe or something and not disrupting it with a motor. Absolutely magnificent. Jeff, if you would, how about a night sky? We're familiar with the aurora borealis, the northern lights. Look at this over this lake. Is that not absolutely magnificent? Beautiful what God has done. And how about this, the moon over the mountains? 
Oh, such amazing beauty that God has. And I just wanted us to pull away from the ugliness for a few moments. One more, Jeff. How about this, this scene of fall colors reflecting off of the water? I want to be there. I want to just sit and absorb. That's what with kind of beauty we get at Trout Lake. We don't get it in the colors because we're in the summer, but just beauty. You go, I just want to sit here. So men, you need to come with us. And guys who are hunting, <laughs> you might enjoy these fall colors with a little bit of wildlife mixed in. And a little bit of beauty. Okay, we could bring the lights up. A little bit of beauty to calm our spirits. There's one last, one last uh, arrangement of pictures. And Hebrews gives it to us, and um, it's in word pictures. So it's not going to come up on the screen, but it's this picture. You've noticed those came up in groups of two, where two things are being put in contrast to one another. They're laid out side by side for us. And today will be the last time that we've gone into this little bit of, of, of a segment of side by side. And what we're seeing is this picture of who Christ is compared to who the angels and what we saw in verses 4 and 5 is that Christ is superior to the angels by a better name. He is the Son, not simply a Son. He is the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And as the kids just sang a little bit ago about how there's none like you, you know, and, and that's the reality. And then the second thing that Hebrews tells us is Christ is superior to angels by a better position. And that he sits in a different position than them. And we saw last week in verses 6 and 7 that he will be revealed as preeminent. That he's most honored, most high, most exalted. There is no one like him. Well, I'd like to pick up, if we can, in Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 8 today. And I want to give you five words that the writer to the Hebrews is at least alluding to that can capsulize his thoughts here. And it's just going to continue to give us a sense of the magnificence of who this one who is the Son truly is. So in verse 8, we read, To the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And quoting from Psalm 45, quoting from Psalm 102, and quoting from Psalm 110, through these references that are, that are here, the writer to the book of Hebrews appropriately interprets each of these psalms as applying to the Son, the Son, the one and only Son, the one who has a better name and a better position. And as we saw last week, he'll be revealed as preeminent. This week, what we will see is simply this. Through these, these psalms that have been quoted, he will reign in perfection. He will reign in perfection. And the first word of per perfection about his reign I'd like to throw out is simply eternality. Eternality. You see, friends, all kings, all presidents... All dictators, all prime ministers, reigns will end. 
They come on the historic scene and they go. So regardless of who wins this next election, four years, maybe eight, we don't know how it's going to unfold, whatever they get, they come and they go. Happens every country, every age, every time. There is no, there is no supreme ruler who lasts forever. In fact, I noticed in one of the news clips that Thailand lost their monarch this past week. He was 88 years old and he had been the ruler of the country for 70 years. Now, the article said that was a record. Now, I don't know if that was an all-time historic record, as best they know. But if you look into the Old Testament, you go ahead and read in the book of, of First Kings, you'll see that, oh, some kings lasted as long as 40 years. That was a long reign. Some lasted like a week. It wasn't so long. But all came and went. Always. It never changes. When we sang earlier today, light of the world, forever reign. We can enter into that. We can proclaim that. When we come to those points in the worship that we're offering to the Lord, and we come to statements like that that the songwriters have put in for us, light of the Lord, forever reign. It's like, yeah, I sing this with my whole heart. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has the aspect of eternality in his reign your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. It's not going to stop. When he is enthroned, from that point on, when every knee bows, every tongue confesses, there never comes a point where he says, I guess I'll step down now. Or somebody usurps his authority. Somebody decides, I'll take over here. Thanks. Somebody decides to do an assassination hit on him. It's never going to happen, friends. So the one whom we worship has the beauty of eternality. Now that would, that in and of itself is pretty cool. <laughs> However, that could be absolutely frightening if he was an evil leader, wouldn't it? That could be absolutely frightening if the kind of leader we're talking about is say a Joseph Stalin who killed, allowed 32 million of his own people to starve to death intentionally. Oh, well, hang on a second. We don't need a leader like that. A King John Un, who right now is, you know, he seems to be half crazed, but his people are starving while he insists upon developing a nuclear program for North Korea. And his people live in abject poverty, and he controls what they hear and what they think. And if you do not, uh, particularly if you just pay attention to the news on that, every so often he just kills somebody who was part of his cabinet because they didn't stand when they should have, or they didn't do this right, they didn't do that right. And for absolutely frivolous means, he has them executed to maintain his control and to maintain his grip. So simply ruling forever is not necessarily a great thing to a ruler who is evil, a ruler who, who afflicts his people. We want to see them go. We want to see them displaced. 
But what is the Lord Jesus Christ like? The next word I'd like to give you is, after eternality, is superiority. And what I mean by that is qualitatively speaking, not just that he's above the people over whom he rules, but that he's superior in the quality of his ruling. Because the writer goes on to quote, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Don't we long for that, friends? Do we not long for the beauty of that? Have you not asked yourself the question as literally tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of us around us have asked, whatever happened to the public servants? Whatever happened to the men and women who took office and respected rule of law? Whatever happened to men and women who are in those offices who understood that they had a responsibility before God to do that which was right to the best of their understanding? Where did they go? Do we not long for that? Do we not pray that God will get hold of the hearts of our political leaders? Righteousness. He loves righteousness and he will hate lawlessness. That just resonates with us, friends, because what do we see in this day and age from our, from our present man in power? What's happened while he's there? Is there any area, is there any area under this administration that has not become tainted? Anything? The IRS? We know that they have used their power to try and prevent the political speech of conservative groups. The Department of Justice, they have chosen not to prosecute, and it's coming out within the FBI that there are, you know, there are career FBI employees who are totally frustrated. You know, there just happened to be this, this little bit of a, a random meeting between a former president and Loretta Lynch and out on a tarmac. What do you know? They met privacy. Well, wasn't that a coincidence? And two days later, the decision is out there publicly that there's going to be no charges brought against somebody for whom the people who got all the evidence together say there absolutely should be charges brought against this individual. Funny thing. So that not only is the corruption of the Department of Justice, but then we see the FBI now has been corrupted. All of this from somebody who claimed they would have the most transparent presidency ever. Now we go, oh, if there was somebody whom we could elect who loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. And so it'd be easy to say, all right, we've had enough of that administration. We're going to change and let another party have it. I don't see a love of righteousness on the other side of the ticket either. It seems to me we're going to be making a decision between two I don't care that one claims to be a Presbyterian and the other claims to be a Methodist. I'm saying it here right now. I don't think either of them are a believer. I don't think you live the way they live as a believer and have no conscience about it. So we're going to be left to, left to make a decision between lawlessness and unrighteousness. And we're being subjected to the gamesmanship and the godlessness and somehow... 
I mean, we've, we've lost sight of the issues that are mattering in this election while we just see this garbage laid out before us and we just get more and more discouraged. See, it's not about righteousness and, and lawfulness among these, among our, our political class right now. It's about what? One thing. It's about one thing. You know what the one thing is? One thing. One thing only. It's about power. Power. We're going to be talking about that in my Sunday school class uh, in the following weeks to come. But that's what it has become about. But in Christ's case, he will have all the power. And he will rule forever, but he will rule with perfect righteousness. And he will hate lawlessness. And things will be done the way they're supposed to be done. And for those who are open to letting righteousness be a part of their experience and wanting to not just run off and do whatever they want and not let anything run over them, those who understand there is that which is good and there is that which is evil and that he is in the embodiment of good and everything he does is good, we will be pleased. We will be thrilled to bend the knee and say, rule over us. Because you will do so in righteousness and hating lawlessness and everything will be better because of that. Third word that I'd like to throw out, after we have had eternality, superiority, can I give you sovereignty? From Psalm 102, next to be quoted, uh, you, Lord, uh, in verse 10, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hand. Sovereignty. He really will control the, the weather. You know, that's a huge issue right now. I think it's all about power. I, we know Scripture says there's going to be a one-world government at one point. Personally, I think climate issues are going to be the thing that the powerful rally around and tell all of us and control all of us over that issue. That's my take. i just throwing that out there. I'm not claiming to be a prophet. I'm not claiming I got that from a God, so don't stone me if it doesn't happen, Okay. But I think that's an issue. And they claim that they're going to control the climate. They don't have control over the climate, friends. Who are we kidding? They don't have that kind of sovereignty, but Jesus Christ does as the creator of this universe. He absolutely is sovereign over it. And you know how your moms might have told you, you know, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. All right? That's the kind of rule he has over this earth. He is completely sovereign over it. And he can actually affect the weather if he chooses. And he will in perfect righteousness if it needs any correcting at all. Next word I'd like you to consider is immutability. This is the fourth of five words, immutability. And in verse 11, we see they will perish but you remain, that is the heavens and the physical things around us. Because there's going to become a, a major changing of the, of the physical world and the atmospheres in the universe as we know it. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. We refer to this as immutability. The Lord Jesus Christ does not change. He is who he is in his nature. And being God in his nature, he is unchanging. He is who he is in his character. And he is who he is in his positions. Just think about this for a minute. Does it not just break our hearts to the core? that we have people in power who 10 years ago 
we're enlightened enough to know that marriage is specifically between a man and a woman. And those same people now tell us we as believers are going to have to change on that. Whoa, what happened? What happened there? How many times have we seen our elected leaders just change? Maybe we even sent them there and they were good and honest people and they went there with good intentions and they get there and they get into the power trap. And pretty soon they've sold their soul to be a part of the system. It's happened time and time and time again. But Jesus Christ does not change. The one who will take the throne when all his enemies are put put as a footstool at his feet, that one Check in in a 1,000 years, in 10,000 years, in 20,000 years, and guess what? There's nothing different about him. He is still perfect righteousness, hates lawlessness. His very character does not change. He hasn't sold out for anything. Immutability, God does not change. Even though the world around, and he will be the one who's got the sovereign power to change the world, it, he won't change. And last, the last word I want to give you is authority. Verse 13, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? And Jesus quotes that also. That actual, that quotation from the Psalm 110 is quoted about six or seven times in the New Testament in referencing to Jesus Christ. And Jesus, when he spoke about it to the religious leaders, um, basically what he was pointing out, because he referenced it to David, and that was David's greater son, and he said, how can David call him his son if he calls him his Lord? And I will put your uh, enemies as a footstool. And what Jesus was pointing out is David's greater son was going to have the authority of deity. And that's, of course, who he had, but he was just interpreting the Scriptures for them. So we're going, to, we're going to elect a president within however many few days it is now that we're coming down to elect a president. We're basically saying, you know, they're out there saying, do you like me enough? Can I make you like me? Can I give you what you want? Uh, can I say the right thing so that you will like me? Many could have filled the office, friends. Many could have filled the office of presidents. And I can't believe we've got the best ones possible that are going to be chosen from. But you see, Christ alone has this kind of authority. Christ alone has this authority, the authority of deity, that there is none who are like him. The kids sang about that a little bit ago. There's none who are like him. He alone is the one who reigns with this kind of authority, the authority of deity. And the contrast, as we looked at pairs of pictures, he says, uh, the contrast is to about the angels. But to which of the angels has he ever said about the footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? He says they're servants. They're just servants. Christ alone will be the one who rules in eternality, superiority, sovereignty, immutability, and authority. Friends, that's magnificent. And here's why. What a, what a thought I just want to leave us with. Because it is, I don't, I don't see it getting any prettier in the next few weeks. And I see when we have an inauguration day, however it goes, I don't see things looking nicer. And I don't see us as a, personally, us as a country, unless God sends the refreshment of revival among His people. I mean Americans, I mean Christians in America. This thing is going to continue down the path which it is going. And it's discouraging and it's hard to watch. And it's, um, not uplifting.
Which is why what I'd like to do is just close with Philippians 4.8. Remember we saw the pictures to kind of calm our spirit and to understand there is beauty to be seen. But I'd like to close with Philippians 4.8 that says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And my friends, when we find the discouragement of what is happening around us and it just it just takes us into a negative place, may I suggest we meditate on these things and these things have a name. Jesus Christ is all of these things. He fits every one of these things. And so we come into his presence and we say, Lord, you alone are beautiful. You always are beautiful. That will never change. So I come to you and I I meditate upon you and I yield to you and I want you to be effective in my life because, Lord, anything else I see around me, the dark kingdom just ruins it. And so you alone, our Savior, friends, is magnificent in beauty. Father, thank you. Thank you that as we watch just ugliness in our public discourse, coarseness, vileness, accusation, innuendo, to the point we don't know who to believe, we don't know what to do, Thank you, Father, that we can look upon the face of Jesus Christ and see beauty and see the one to whom we give all of our allegiance. Lift us up by the very presence of his being, Father, we ask in his name. Amen. Amen.